0: Forever DOG I used to think that this was my town. What a stupid thing to think. I hear you biting off a brain now. I myself am on the brain. I used to wanna be a real man I don't know what that even means. I just want you in my arms again, we can search each other's dreams. What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It is Rhea Butcher here, the host of this podcast, Three Swings that you are listening to currently, and thank you for doing that. I just want to say that up top, thanks for listening to this podcast. I did have to take a bye week last week, sometimes it happens. Just had to do it. Uh, I am back now, and guess what? I'm going on tour. You're probably aware of this. My tour consists of two long weekends. Plus, I'll be at High Plains in Denver doing a live episode of this here podcast. I can't wait to see how it goes. It's going to be interesting. Um, But if you are in Salt Lake City, I will be there 9-5, which is this Thursday. I'm not sure what day this podcast is coming out. Also, if you live in Los Angeles... And this is Wednesday, the 4th. You should come to UCB tonight at 7 p.m. because I'm going to be running a half hour and Barbara Gray is going to open for me. It's going to be a lot of fun. You should do that. Um, so yeah, I'll be in Salt Lake City on the 5th. Then I'll be in Boise on the 6th. Then I'll be in Portland for the XOXO Festival on the 8th, which is that Sunday. And then on September 12th, I'll be in Austin, Texas. On Friday, the 13th, I'll be in Houston, Texas and a little more on Houston, coming up a little bit later in the podcast. And then I'll be in New Orleans on the 14th and St. Louis, that's the Missouri one, on the 15th at the Ready Room. So please come out, get those tickets. Uh, They will be on my website, which is com slash live dates slash. Not sure why... It does that, but that's what it does. And that's how you get my tickets to my shows. So please buy those tickets, tell a friend, bring a friend, come on out. Um, it's how I support myself as a human being. And if you like what I'm doing out here, then please support that. Because uh, then I can keep doing it. And uh, I don't have to get a job as a barista or something. Totally willing to do it. Might just do it anyway. There's nothing, no shame in being a barista. I've done it before. Um, let's see, baseball. My baseball league has had a bunch of bye weeks so i legit haven't played baseball in like three weeks not super stoked about that um and i'm missing the next two games which are the last two games of the regular season but i'm missing them because i have to work so that is important and a real thing and i can't complain about working i want to work but it is a bummer when you miss baseball or when you miss something that you're committed to um and that's just the way the uh Baseball bounces, I guess. Uh, but I, I am excited about the league and about the playoffs. My team is currently in first, which is great, but also not the biggest thing in the world. Um, I think I think that no matter how these last two games go, we will be in the playoffs, which is wonderful and exciting and fun. And um, I'm just really, I, I've just really had a great time with this team. And, you know, it's, it's funny when my team was like new and put together, from a lot of new players, even though some of us are veterans from the league, mostly new folks. And it's just been really great to like get to know people and show up for each other and um, take risks and be vulnerable and, and all that stuff and just show up and really become a team. And we've really become a team and it's been really fun. And uh, I got to make some really cool jerseys. So that's always fun too. Um, and uh, yeah, I finally got a goddamn hit. I think I mentioned this already on the show, but it's been so long and I haven't done anything since then. <laughs> baseball wise that like i'm just still stoked on that hit but then you take three weeks off i don't know if i can hit like that again so we'll see but um yeah that's been fun my fantasy baseball league my categories league is over now um which like honestly thank god that shit i had to do it every day which is like okay i like a daily commitment but um woof it was a lot of work uh, I'll definitely do it again I say all that and then I'm like oh I'm absolutely doing this again um, what's funny is me and, and my categories league was actually made up of primarily people from my baseball physical baseball league and uh, uh, my friend Joe was also in the league and we were basically trading first and second place almost all season long and uh, we ended up I ended up in first and he ended up in second and then we both lost in the first round of the playoffs. Which is just like the case of in fantasy baseball, I've found that like the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle, like being like the fourth or fifth team, uh, because you're not made up of all superstars. Because the superstars in the season, they either run out of gas or they get benched around this time, which is when the fantasy playoffs start. And so then if you're if you have a bunch of and I like drafted really well in my categories league. I mean I had abysmal pitching for the most part. But um I my offense, I had Cody Bellinger, I had like a host of catches catchers, which whatever. Omar Navarez and I had Chirinos for a little while, then I picked up Travis Darnod. Arnaud. I don't know how to pronounce things. Uh and then I had Max Muncie, Alex Bregman. Harper, Yelich, and Mookie Betts. Plus, I had Jordan Alvarez. So, yeah, I did pretty all right. <laughs> I did pretty all right. But I, st- I lost, which seems nearly impossible with that lineup. But they haven't been producing lately. So I ended up, you know, coming in third place for the playoffs. First place for the season, third place for the playoffs, whatever. And then in my points league... Um, I'm still playing because it's like fun at this point to just like it's honestly the only thing keeping me up on daily baseball is is that because I just have been at a place where I'm not I'm just not watching games like Labor Day was yesterday and yesterday was the first day that I actually watched a game and I watched uh, the Yankees play the Texas Rangers And, uh, which was a great game to catch. I think I got in at the fourth inning or somewhere around there and the Texas Rangers of all teams. And actually I say this going of all teams, but we all know that the Texas Rangers have been just like not making any moves and next year they probably are going to make a ton of moves. And then we will be like, where did the Rangers come out of? And like, they absolutely are going to be a contender next year. I think, um, so they, Mike Miner was, was in it. He was pitching. He was throwing a gem, sw- twirling a gem, as everybody likes to say. And he ended the New York Yankees' consecutive non-scoreless game streak. I think that's how I could put it. At 220. Now, let me explain it a little further if you're like, what did you just say? Uh, the New York Yankees, the current team right now, Went 220 games, scoring at least a run in every single game, whether they won or lost, which is a very long streak of scoring a run, at least one run. The only other longer streak is the 31, 32, 33, or is it the 32, 33, and 34 Yankees? And that—that's the Babe and Gehrig, uh, Yankees. So like this, the team that is currently playing who you know, couldn't make it past the Astros last year. And, uh, you know, or no, they beat, wait, couldn't, I don't remember. <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, couldn't make it past the Red Sox last year. And then who knows what the hell they'll do this year. Um, We'll get into that a little bit more later. They They have scored a run in every game for 220 consecutive games. And that just came to an end yesterday, which is an incredible feat. You know, like the Yankees or hate the Yankees, most of us hate the Yankees unless we're Yankee fans. That I mean, that's cr- that's pretty that's pretty bonkers to do. So I checked back in with baseball. Then I caught the end of the Astros game, and uh, you know I have Garrett Cole in my points league, and like every you know kept getting these updates of how dominant his his outing was, and then they put Osuna on there, who I don't like anyway, and then he gives up a home run to. Swipe Garrett Cole's 12th consecutive win. And then that dude ends up getting the win after, uh, you know, George Springer hit cranks a home run to the batter's eye in the 10th inning. And then Roberto, Roberto Osuna gets the goddamn win after he tied the game. These are the things I don't like about baseball. People who are sh- abusers that get to just keep playing with little to no, uh, work that they have to do and, closers who give up home runs that go on to get the win simply because they were standing on the mound when their player hit the home run. It's just like, it's ridiculous. I don't like shit like that. Um, so anyway, but what are you going to do? I can't change it. I can't control it. It's, it's out of my control. And so I can't actually get mad about it, but I am allowed to have an opinion. We'll be right back after this with a little bit more opinions on baseball. (laughs) So I wanted to uh check in about something that happened over the weekend that's a pretty amazing thing. Um I these are my three notes and then I've got some of bench coach Brett's notes on deck. That's a baseball term. Uh so Justin Verlander th- tosses his third no-hitter. He's really getting up there in terms of uh there's not that you know the the list of names gets a lot shorter the more no-hitters that you throw. And uh, he's, in, he's in a really good class these days. Um, and I, I will he's entering Sunday's games. Only 30 pitchers since 1908 had thrown multiple no-hitters. Now, think about that 30 no-hitters. This is also from the Fangraphs blog, by the way, by Mr. Craig Edwards. Uh, 30 pitchers seems like a lot, but 30 pitchers since 1908. That's more than 100 years. Uh, this list is an impressive one. Uh, it includes Warren Spahn, Max Scherzer, Walter Johnson, and Randy Johnson. Uh, also, Homer Bailey, Mike Fears, and Jake Arrieta. But of those 30 players with at least two no-hitters since 1908, 27 of the 30 had thrown exactly two such games, including Justin Verlander. So, 30 multiple no-hitters, but 27 of those, multiple, of those 30 were two no-hitters. That means 27 of those no-hitters were guys that threw a no-hitter and then threw one more, and then that was it. So after Sunday, is that the day that it happened? Yeah. After Sunday, Justin Verlander is now the 31st, and he makes it 28. So he threw a 14-strikeout, one-walk no-hitter on Sunday, and he joins Bob Feller, Cy Young... And Larry Corcoran, in all of baseball history, to throw three no hitters. Oh, I just misspoke in the data there. So twenty-seven of those are not all two hitters; it's twenty-five of those are are two no hitters because there are two additional no hitter, multiple no hitter throwers who have more than three, which are Sandy Kouf- Koufax. Wow. Sandy Koufax who threw four, and Nolan Ryan who threw seven. Now, I'm reading that stat, and I feel as though it's a statistic that I knew but wasn't aware of. Like, I knew as a child that Nolan Ryan threw seven no-hitters, and I'm sitting here recording this baseball podcast in 2019, realizing that that man threw seven no-hitters. And, like, we... I have uh, been blessed with the opportunity to talk about a couple no-hitters on this podcast. We have a have had gotten to witness like no hitters by multiple pitchers. It's been pretty amazing that there have been some no hitters. I really enjoy I, I don't know that we've gone in depth on what it's like to witness a no hitter. I've never gotten to see one live, like sitting in a stadium. My friend Joe Kilgallen was in Los Angeles watching the Jake Arietta no hitter. Pretty wonderful. A friend of mine, Liz Feldman, wonderful producer creator of a show that's on Netflix that's escaping me right now that a lot of people, uh, dead, like, no, that was a different show. Anyway, Christina Applegate's in it, so it's that show. She went to the Kershaw no-hitter, in uh, that was 2014, right? Um, so I know some people that have witnessed it, and I just want to, when I say in depth, like, I don't mean getting into, like, charts and data and this and that and all this stuff, although I will get into this fangraph stuff because I think, it is actually some of this, some of these statistics on Justin Verlander's no hitter is pretty amazing. But I think often if someone is not a baseball fan or they are a ca- very casual baseball fan or they're a person who adamantly dislikes baseball, the no hitter is something that is so difficult to try to explain why it's so amazing because, you know, I, it's it's this thing that like nobody wants to jinx it unless you do want to jinx it. And like once I fi- like I I've watched games that end up being no hitters or really close to no hitters. I don't know that I've ever sat down, watched a game and it's been a no hitter. And like that is the only way I think to truly experience the thing is to commit to it and then understand what's happening, you know? Um and it's hard to explain to somebody that wants to see a bunch of action which includes home runs, although I will say that no hitters often include home runs because one team has to score as noted by the 2017 uh, Rich Hill, perfect game that wasn't a perfect game because the Dodgers couldn't score a goddamn run. Uh, But the suspense, you know, I was catching up on all the outs from the, the no hitter and we're so lucky to have this technology that I can just sit here two days later, or even the same day that night, watch all 14 strikeouts by Justin Verlander, or I can watch every out by Justin Verlander in the Astros that night, literally that night. But at the same time, when you watch it and it just is broken down to like, da-da-da, da da strike three, strike three, strike three, strike... It, it takes away... And I'm not saying, like, I don't want us to watch these things anymore. I just mean it makes more sense to me why somebody wouldn't find a no-hitter to be interesting because you watch a dominant performance like that become even more dominant because it's just like thinned down to this is all that it is like it seems so boring that he's just like mowing people down but the suspense of a no hitter is what's going to happen next what's even when the ball is not in play you're still like please just let this keep going please let this keep going so anyway i still i'm just like renewing my love of uh no hitters and the fact that i like this thing and I think it's cool and even though I'm like not a huge Justin Verlander fan which by the way he is younger than me and I will never get over that probably that guy is a year younger than me he's a year younger than me Justin Verlander is a year younger than me it might be a matter of months but his age is a year younger than me the number that his age is is not the same age as me isn't that bonkers? So, congrats to Justin Verlander because he is more than likely, and like this is all everybody could talk about is that he's already in the Hall of Fame, and like I truly think that that's the case, and he should be in the Hall of Fame, whether I like him or not. But some of these no hitter odds, something that's interesting is this FanGraphs. that uh, it really, it really puts it together. Um, his, his, so this is the stat that I wanted to talk about. Um, this is per percent of chance, percent chance of no hits by each at bat, I believe is 12.11%, which I, I don't really fully know what that is, but the each hit, the odds of no hitter were eight to one. Now that might seem like a high number. But if you look at that same odds for the most recent no hitters, which is the Houston combined, the LA Angels combined, Mike Fears, James Paxton, and Sean Manaya, their odds of no hitter per hit was 1350 to 1, 4650 to 1, 192 to 1. That's Mike's, Mike Fears. The James Paxton no hitter was 4004 to 1. And Sean Mania's is, is the cl- or uh, Sean Minai is the second closest at two forty five to one. So Verlander's odds were more than twenty times better than the next closest no hitter. Generally, around twenty percent of batted balls will have an expected batting average greater than six hundred, but Verlander had zero in his no hitter on Sunday. Pretty wild. Pretty wild shit. And also, the game was very well called. I highly recommend just flipping through this Fangraphs thing um, because it really breaks it down in a way that makes a lot of sense. Um, And also then, Garrett Cole's performance the next night, another 14 Ks. He's now surpassed Justin Verlander this season with 266 strikeouts. And that does kind of lead me into... You know, the conversation that I want to get into, which is like looking into the postseason, but like Garrett Cole, just like another dominant performance and curious to see if he stays in Houston next year or if he lands somewhere else. Um, Also, during that game, there was a George Springer hit that home run and there was this celebration and it was the ESPN broadcast. So it wasn't the Houston guys. Uh, which, by the way, that guy just drives... I just really don't like his voice. And I know that's on me. It's on me. But I'm just... If anybody else agrees with me, you're not alone. And this is not an anti-Houston thing. I just don't like his voice. Um, and they... Apparently, Michael Brantley and George Springer live very close to each other. And so they they carpool to the ballpark. And they got a flat tire. I guess they've become very good friends this season. Which is cool. I like when that happens. Uh, and... They had to change or they decided to change the tire themselves and apparently neither of them had done it before, which I think is pretty funny because like we're always not always, but like on the Internet and places where these things, these conversations get so concentrated that, you know, I don't know. We just like who who among us wouldn't assume that a major league baseball player hasn't or wouldn't know how to change a tire. And like, look at that. They don't know. And they didn't do it before. And so they did it together and apparently it was this really bonding experience and then they go to the ballpark and they both hit a I think Springer had two, Br- Brantley had one. They both had like this crazy night so then they decided to do a tire change celebration and these announcers for ESPN were like looking forward to it. This guy's like, "Oh, is that the tire change?" And and what George Springer does is he takes his right hand and I'm going to have to describe it because this is a podcast and he spins it in a clockwise motion, right? Like, t- spins it like he's cranking something in a, in a circle, in a clockwise motion. And then he pulls that... It's like a, he grabs with both hands, pulls that circle towards his chest and goes, Bah! And I immediately... I heard the guy say, Tire change. They didn't tell the story yet. The guy says, Oh, is that the tire change celebration? My brain goes tire change and it immediately starts going through the steps to changing a tire and then I look at that guy and I I look at George Springer and I know exactly what he's doing and this announcer who I don't know, the only thing I know about him is that he's a white guy I don't know if he's straight or not I just know he's a white guy who gets to call baseball, has a job who's lucky enough to do that goes, what is he Is he jacking up the tire? Is that what that is? He's, oh, he's jacking, oh, he's jacking up the tire. And I'm like, how do you not know that that's not the part he's doing? He's got a tire iron and he's taking off the lug nuts and then he's taking the tire off of the axle. How do you not know that? And so I could either be really angry. And bang my head against a wall, or I could just realize like, nobody knows what the hell they're talking about, and it has no it has absolutely nothing to do with your gender. You can be a dude and you could be calling, you could be in the booth for ESPN baseball and you don't know shit about changing a tire, and you could be a non binary. Uh, assigned female at birth who looked incredibly feminine as a child and uh, played with Barbies but also played baseball and had generally pretty varied interests as a kid who then grew up to be lucky enough to do stand-up and have an interest in baseball and have people listen to their podcast and know exactly what George Springer and Michael Brantley are doing because you have some better frame of reference just by happenstance and it has nothing to do with your gender. I knew exactly what they were doing and that guy had no idea. And it just proves to me that gender has almost no bearing on what you know or understand about the world and what your natural talents are and what you want to be into. But it is society itself that ke- either allows you in or keeps you out. So the only thing you can do is just keep on being you and try to enjoy your life and find all the good and find say fuck you to all the bad (laughs) as much as you possibly can and be as kind to as many people as you can no matter what their gender race, sexual orientation, any of it is and that means all of it you just have to be as nice to every single person, kind I should say, and just be like hey yeah, that's actually he's actually taking the lug nuts off with a tire iron and then he's taking the tire down and then that person can be like, are you sure? and you can say Yes. I'll be right back after this with the rest of the show. So something that I did want to talk about and uh, we did spend a, a big part of an episode but that since, peak, since it's come back up in the news again and I think everybody who's paid attention to the story of Tyler Skaggs kind of knew that it probably would most of us maybe I, I'll i speak for myself I knew there was going to be a second article you know I knew there was going to be another one in about a month and that new article um, has come out and uh, Tyler Skaggs if you're not aware was a 27 year old pitcher um, for the Los Angeles Angels and he died in a Texas hotel room, July 1st. Um, and, a, a article came out August 30th, confirming what I kind of thought was going to be the case. I not out of any sort of cynicism or negativity, just kind of felt like this seems like that's probably what it's going to be. And then it actually was. Um, and you know, I don't, I, I don't like, just repeating exactly what these things found, because I I feel like it reduces a person to their death, you know? And I think that, um, we struggle in this country, in this culture. I've never lived anywhere else, so I can't really speak to the cultures of other countries. So I'll just speak to like the United States, which is that, uh, when someone dies of, an overdose or complications from alcohol or substances such as that, uh, which is unfortunately what did take Tyler Skaggs's life on July first. It was a, a mixture of alcohol, fentanyl, and oxycodone, um, which led to uh, asphyxiation, uh, essentially on his own vomit. Which is incredibly sad. Uh, I repeat these things because they're in they're they're in news articles. It's not a secret. And it's just the truth of what happened. And I repeat them because it does not diminish his life and it doesn't diminish his death either, Um, which is the point I was trying to get to. I feel like in our culture, you know, Roy Holiday was just celebrated this year uh, when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I saw a lot of shitty vitriol on the Internet. And like, look, we all know that the Internet is where people go to unleash their darkest demons and say what they really feel and I don't know, hurt people. But it reminded me that some of that stuff is true to those people and those opinions. That um, a lot of people think just because someone died um, under the influence or the influence is what killed them, um, that they don't deserve to be remembered, that they don't deserve to be cherished, and they don't deserve, you know, I could just kind of end that sentence there that because someone made that choice. That's their choice, and now they're erased from existence. And I just don't... I disagree, you know? And I I feel like everything happens for a reason. And those reasons and the things that happen, we don't always like it, you know? We don't even have to like it. Um, I don't want Tyler Skaggs to have died. He has family. He has a wife who is now a widow. Um, He has friends. I know some of his friends personally. I know the effect that losing someone that you love has on you. It's sad. It is sad. I wish it hadn't happened, you know? Um, I wish that this hadn't happened to him. I wish it hadn't happened to his friends and his family and the people that he affected in his life. But that's not the case. And so to, to choose then to diminish his life and say, Worthless, or he threw it all away, or he did this, or he did that, is not the reason that Tyler Skaggs died. The reason that he died has yet to be revealed, but I think that part of it is to shed a light on many things. And for me, if if I'm to interpret that as much as anyone else could, um, with with a brain and an opinion. <laughs> um, And I don't think this is the only interpretation, but I I truly think that this is a conversation that we are not having. You know, like many things in this country, everything's black and white. So somebody's responsible. We got to punish who's responsible. And I think that big pharma is responsible. And if I'm going to punish somebody, it's going to be the pharmaceutical companies, specifically the Sackler family, who are personally wealthy off of the death of Americans and people across the globe. And not even just Americans, but people you know um the um, and, and and if you're listening to this going well just don't take it okay sure <laughs> but uh that's not how any of this works you you don't say to somebody that walks off of a curb and gets hit by a car who's got a walk signal and they walk in the crosswalk and they're paying attention and someone else turns right and runs them over with their car and they die you don't go tell them and their family, well, they shouldn't have been walking. You just don't... That's not... You just don't say that. So how... How? Really, when you think about it, how is this any different? Because you don't know what was going on for Tyler Skaggs. You don't know how what was going on in his body. You don't know what was going on in his brain. You don't know who gave him this stuff. And I just think th- all of these things... Um, when it comes to drugs specifically, but also alcohol. It is too available to everyone. You Because we live in a capitalist society, there there is not supply and demand. There is supply. And then you create the demand. You know, and I mean, hey, if I'm butchering that by saying exactly what it's supposed to mean, I don't care. But doctors have been pushing oxycodone, oxycontin, all of this stuff, and then they put fentanyl in it, which is even stronger. And they get people hooked. Like I, I can give you a personal example. My own grandmother, who, due to the natural aging process, was dealing with daily chronic pain, which many people do who are aging or for other reasons. And because of the way our health care works in the system, we don't get health care. We get health pay. And instead of a doctor saying okay i'm prescribing you physical therapy and instead of us having within these giant conglomerate healthcare systems that we have in this in our cities and towns instead of them having like i don't know gyms and aquariums and places for people to go aging people to go who live in their own homes that could take public transportation or be picked up and have a community um to these these sort of rehab or like just physical activity centers to do minimal exercises and go meet with other people and uh, talk to people and get out of their house and do the minimal amount of exercise that could change some of this chronic pain instead of something like that, which does cost money and doesn't make money, which is the problem. They just are given prescriptions for medications that, that monitor and mediate the pain. And then the pain gets worse because they're not doing anything that's actually counteracting the pain. And the pain gets worse, and so the prescription gets higher. And then you have an aging person at home surrounded by other people who are aging who don't have exercise plans who don't have community around them and then those people get hooked on those prescriptions because it's around and hey these really work for me so why don't you have one because it starts to seem like oh well oxycodone is the same thing as ibuprofen just don't take too many and then you take one and then that becomes not enough and then you take two and then you take three and that's an experience that I've had firsthand and I don't mean that I've taken it I would be honest and say that that was me but it's not but I've watched it happen to people and so when I see these things happen with Tyler Skaggs, you don't know the amount, like the amounts of alcohol are, are listed. But when you really break it down to what that was, it was probably metered out over the day. And also I just don't know. And I'm not in the business of, you know, when, I, when we found out that Jose Fernandez died, I, of, of that he was under the influence when, when he died, I was more sad you know, I was more sad because it felt more sad. Because you feel like it's preventable. Just don't take it. But here's the thing. It's just not. Even all these things that I'm saying, like you can do this and you can do this. All that it does is it it, it shifts the dial a little bit. And maybe some people don't do that. But it never will go away. Because that's just the way that the, that life works. And so all of this, I guess, is just to say... That all the sadness and joy and pain and happiness and grieving that came out on that night in Anaheim with an entire team and Tyler's mom throwing that strike, none of that has disappeared because this is the way that Tyler died. It doesn't matter. It matters. It matters just as much. It all matters. And I think that's something that Major League Baseball really needs to address or be open about is the amount of physical pain that their players are in. You know, we we talk a lot about NFL, the NFL, and uh, how they treat their players, and it's valuable because these guys are literally dying from their injuries at ages that they should not be dying, either from health complications or from mental health complications. And it should not be happening, and the NFL Corporation just looks the other way. So I'm not saying like, uh, time for that to be over now. But I just think that it takes, it it pulls a lot of the focus and we as baseball fans maybe don't stop to consider. And this is something that I've mentioned in the labor conversation is that, you know, yeah, these guys are millionaires. Some of them, not all of them. Most of the guys that play baseball are not millionaires in the traditional sense when you say they're millionaires. Like, they might have I, ca- constitute a million dollars. That constitute constitutes a millionaire, yes. But we're not talking about... Uh, every dude that's ever played in the MLB is a millionaire or a multimillionaire, necessarily. And we don't... They play, like, 162 games, give or take. And we don't talk about... Especially pitchers. Especially pitchers. And catchers. We literally do not talk about... We talk about an, an injury... We don't talk about how much pain these guys are in on a daily basis. We talk about how they don't hustle. We talk about how they're not playing well. We talk about how they don't seem focused and how they're not playing the game right. But we don't talk about how badly their feet hurt or how they can't even hold a baseball anymore because they've been throwing one as hard as they possibly can every five days for their entire lives. And so that's some severe pain that maybe you and I couldn't possibly ever relate to. And Tyler was going through, like, remnants of major injuries. He had Tommy John surgery. So maybe he was in a lot of pain. And maybe he got those drugs because he was in a lot of pain. And he thought, tonight I've got an off night, and I just want to sleep. Or I just want to get through this night with my friends. And then he didn't make it through the night because he took a gamble. And it is a gamble. It's a gamble. And it's an unfortunate one. And hopefully you're listening to this and you go, I'm not going to take that gamble. But it doesn't make you a better person than anybody who does take the gamble. The thing you got to do is have empathy for everybody that gambles every single day. Because honestly, every day that we wake up is a gamble. Every time you leave your house, it's a gamble. There could be a... I could be Donnie Darko right now and have a jet engine fall on me. You know? I mean, it's all a gamble. And so does that... Would that make my death any less tragic or more tragic or more preventable or more important or less important than Tyler Skaggs? No, because he was a human being. People care about him, cared about him, loved him, loved him. And he cared about and loved other people too. And so I just urge you in the coming weeks and months of the conversation around this that's going to continue. To have as much empathy and understanding and openness around this story and the family and how they're struggling and to not throw someone into the trash simply because you think the way they died isn't good enough. All right, we're back. So it's the last month of the regular season and the division races are fully heated up. We've got the AL East. The New York Yankees are now in first and the Tampa Bay Rays are 11 and a half games behind. And it looks like the Boston Red Sox are not even going to make the wild card, which is pretty bonkers, I think. You know, I just don't think they're going to do it. Um, And then in the AL Central, we've got the Minnesota Twins leading Cleveland uh, Cleveland is back three and a half games so let's look at those two now the New York Yankees did lose to the Texas Rangers and before you go well it's the Rangers what is it? yes that does I really do think you know I was talking with my pal Joe Kilgallen who I mentioned earlier who was at the Jake area at a no hitter in 2015 against the Los Angeles Dodgers and he was like the Yankees feast on bad pitching and I gotta say he's absolutely right. And if it ends up shaking out that the Yankees are playing the Astros, I am all in on the Astros winning that game. I'm sorry, Yankees fans. But I just, will I, not game, series. Do I think it will be exciting? Yes. Do I think it will be a matchup? Yes. Do I think the Yankees have a chance of beating this Astros rotation? Absolutely not. Uh, I just don't. And I, I will make that prediction. Happy as always to be proven wrong. And then the Tampa Bay Rays, I was 100% wrong about my guess that they will win the AL East. I really wanted that to be true, and it's just not. So I still love you, Tampa Bay Rays. We'll get back to you in just a minute. Uh, The AL Central, we've got the Minnesota Twins over Cleveland, like I just mentioned. Cleveland did tie it up for a moment there. But Jose Ramirez is out, and he only recently got hot again. And the offense... At this point, honestly, rotates around that guy. They were not producing and then he got hot and they started winning again. And now he's gone on the injured list and they are just not winning like they were. Um, I didn't take the time to like look at the rest of their season layout. So nothing, three and a half games is not impossible. However, I think that at this point in the season with the way everything looks, I think the Minnesota twins do end up winning the AL central. I'm glad they've gotten a run for their money, at least, because like, I just want, we all agree, we just want this to be competitive, right? I mean, I just, that is the other thing that I really enjoyed about watching Texas and New York play each other, because like, what if that was all the time? What if it was always that competitive all the time? We would have a much better on-field product, you know? The MLB is always talking about The on-field product, the on-field product. Like, it's not about the games going faster. It's about the games being competitive. (sighs) I'm not going to yell anymore. Uh, Then the AL West, we've got the Houston Astros, 10 games over the Oakland days. Oakland, you know how much I love you, but this one, just you just didn't have it this year. And that's okay. We got to see Laureano have the amazing season that he's had and Matt Chapman really break out um, as the apparently superior Matt over the first base Matt Olsens. Uh, But we will get back to the Oakland A's in just a moment. Um, Because I want to, not in just a moment, I'm going to do it right now. The AL wildcard is at this, as it stands right now, which is this document is from 829, so I could be a little incorrect. Um, We've got Cleveland at one and a half games, clinching the Oakland A's are the second wild card spot, and then we've got the Tampa Bay Rays one game out. And as I mentioned before, the Boston Red Sox are five games out, which I just think at this point in the season with what's been going on, who they're playing and who everyone else is playing, I just don't think the Red Sox have a chance to get a wild card this year, which is pretty bonkers and will be the first or will they be the first World Series winner since the or World Series winner or World Series contender since 2015 to not make it back to the playoffs. That seems about right. Um, And like, man, it's just wild, right? Everything changes every day. So my, I mean, my wild card that I would love to see would be Cleveland and Tampa. No shade to Oakland. I love you. You know that I love you just in terms of teams. And I would just, that's the matchup that I would like to see. And I don't know, honestly, I feel like the Rays win that one. So then moving into the NL East, we've got Atlanta. Uh, and they are five and a half games up in the NL East. They have really taken off, and a lot of it has been behind Josh Donaldson's bat awakening with multi-home run games all of a sudden. I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about that guy. He is vegan, which is pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, he's sent to Barstool, and most of these guys probably are. So I can't really make that a qualifier. But um, it is. I do like seeing a veteran who's on a one-year contract have a have a sort of renaissance and like be the center figure of a team again. Um, especially, they have so many young guys too that are very exciting. It's just fun to see someone who's been around for a minute get another moment of spotlight. You know, just plainly, uh, the Nationals are five and a half games out. And we'll get back to the Nationals in just a moment. The Phillies are ten and a half games out, and the Mets are 12 and a half games out uh, from the NL East. So, I mean, at this point, I do think Atlanta holds on, but the Nationals are still—they still have some stuff working. Weird that I think that three and a half games is insurmountable, but five and a half is possible for the Nationals. Whatever, I'm not perfect. Um, and then the NL Central—the it's—it's interesting, don't you think that? The AL Central and the NL Central are the two most competitive divisions in each league. Um, And it's funny because those contain the most small markets. So that, you can crunch some numbers, you can look at statistics, or we could just agree that the smaller markets tend to be more competitive. Hmm, look at that. So the St. Louis Cardinals are up two games over the Chicago Cubs, and they are also five and a half games over the Milwaukee Brewers, which has been a surprise to me that the Brewers are as far back as they are. But it's the most competitive and St. Louis, man. St. Louis kind of coming out of nowhere and really leading this charge and the Cubs kind of losing enough recently for them to get back into first place. I like to see a changing of the guard. I like to see it get switched up. And you know how I feel about the Cubs on this website. This isn't a website. It's... uh. It's a podcast. And then in the NL West, we've got the Los Angeles Dodgers 20 games over the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the Dodgers at this point are doing what they do the best, which is to go into a general malaise, hit some skids, have some blowout games, and then lose important games. And not have the best record in baseball until all of a sudden the Yankees have the best record in baseball. They have yet to hit 90. Or maybe they hit it yesterday. They're very close. Jock Peterson hit the right field wall. I don't know. I, I, fandom is a thing that is changing all the time. I just, I'm committed to rooting for that damn team because I live in this damn town and I like a lot of the people on the team. But God damn it, do they love to break my heart? So we already talked about the AL wild card, but the NL wild card to me is a little more exciting because we have the Nationals over three games and the Cubs. In the second spot, but the Phillies are only two games out of that second wild card spot. The Brewers are three and a half games out, and the Mets are four games out of that. And right behind them are the Arizona Diamondbacks, only four and a half games, and they are trying. You know, they are trying. Uh, for some reason, the Reds are listed on the wild card because they're eight games out, which is very funny to me. And the Giants are six games out too. So the NL wild card is somewhat competitive, and I think it's still up in the air. If I had to choose what I would like to see, it would probably be the Cubs versus the Mets. It, what I would like to see based on on-field product. I love sounding like a hedge fund manager. Um, so my World Series prediction at this point is the Houston Astros versus Atlanta. <laughs> that's, that's my prediction. Of uh, That's my prediction or the cardinals um or it just ends up being the astros versus the dodgers and the astros win um so that's where that's where i sit uh prediction wise here um so that's men's baseball and that's coming up and i'm excited about covering the postseason for this podcast, because that's when it starts to get fun, because we're all watching the same games. That's what I like about the postseason, is we're all watching the same games. It's not... I, I love the regular season, because we all get to watch these stories unfold, and then we all come together, and we all watch the same miniseries. And it's pretty great. So I'm excited about that. And speaking of pretty great, the Women's Pan American Baseball Tournament uh is now over and it's over because the US women's team won the Pan American tournament completing a dominant performance by defeating Venezuela 8 to 5 in the gold medal game on Sunday US second baseman Alex Hugo was named the tournament MVP tournament MVP she hit 652 with five doubles and four home runs with 18 RBI but picking an MVP from among teams USA's hitters was tough the team hit 500, 602 and 826 overall and had 45 extra base hits in just seven games. Venezuela took silver and Canada topped Mexico 11 to 1 in the bronze medal game. All four teams qualified for the 2020 Women's Baseball World Cup, which is exciting. I can't wait for that. This was the debut tournament for the host nations team. The Mexico women's national team had never played together pr- competitively prior to Pan Am. It's all super exciting. I cannot wait for the 2020 game. I cannot wait to find out where it is. And maybe if it's someplace I can go, I can maybe go. It would be pretty exciting. And I I highly recommend, again, following all the players on uh, the U.S. Women's National Team. It's the best way to keep up on what's going on in women's baseball in general, but also in uh, women's national baseball. And reading that slash line, the uh, 500, 602, and 826, I forgot to mention that the reason why that Houston Astros are so dominant, they've been hitting, they hit 300 as a team in August. That's just beyond. So wrapping up this episode, we are going to talk about the year of the rookie Aristides Aquino and the year of the rookie 2019 has been an incredible year for rookies in men's baseball Mets first baseman Pete Alonso already surpassed the NL rookie record for home runs at 42 with a month left in the season. This is also the Mets' single-season home run record. That's by anybody, not just a rookie. Uh, and yet Alonso is only a slim favorite in the NL Rookie of the Year race due to strong seasons for Padres shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. and Atlanta pitcher Mike Soroka. So I mean, just then those are, I mean, good lord in the AL Astros breakout, Jordan Alvarez is the favorite to win rookie of the year over Rays second baseman, Brandon low and Orioles pitcher, John means, which I mean, Brandon Lau didn't get to play that much and pitchers rarely get rookie of the year. Um, but that list also doesn't even include Blue Jays phenoms Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, who, after slow starts and a late start respectively, have looked dominant in recent weeks. With Guerrero hitting three sixty over the last 30 days and Bichette hitting three forty one in 123 at bats, I'm really excited for Toronto and that duo that they've got in that dugout because Toronto deserves th- Toronto deserves a team. Canada loves baseball, Toronto loves baseball, and I'm really happy that you have those two guys because if you're not making it to the postseason, you at least have something exciting at the plate and you have some guys you can get behind because I know that that town loves to get behind their players. And so I just want to give a big shout-out to Toronto and say how happy I am for you and how excited I am to keep watching those two players play baseball. But perhaps the most impressive rookie performance this year will end up belonging to Reds' left fielder... Or Or Aristides Aquino, who set the all time MLB record, all time MLB record for home runs in his first 100 plate appearances by hitting his record setting 13th home run on his 100th plate appearance at bat this past Wednesday against the Marlins. I would like to thank the Marlins for existing currently to give players opportunities to break records over and over. And I would also like to say fuck you to the Marlins for beating Cleveland in 1997. But also, thank you for doing that because I took a much-needed break from baseball and now I'm back in and I probably won't take a break like that again, ever. And this comes after Aquino became the first player in MLB history to Homer eight times in his first 12 games. The 25-year-old Aquino, an unheralded prospect as recently as this spring, is now slashing 315, 384, and 787 in addition to 13 home runs. And he plays for the Cincinnati Reds, so he won't be in the postseason. And that's the way baseball works, everybody. So please, if you like this podcast, please tell a friend. Um, send in your rosin bags because I'd like to answer some questions. And again, they do not need to be baseball related. You can just ask me some life questions. Totally fine by me. Um Congrats to everybody that won their fantasy league. Congrats to everybody that lost their fantasy league. It's just a game. It's just for fun. Even if it's for money, money doesn't matter. Tell people you liked it. Uh, Get out there. Watch some baseball locally. Tell me about it. Send me some photos. Buy some merch at our store. Uh, Come see me on tour. I'll be in Salt Lake City on the 5th. Boise on the 6th. Portland on the 8th. I'll be in Austin on the 12th. Houston on the 13th. New Orleans on the 14th and St. Louis on the 15th and at High Plains Comedy Festival this year, doing this year podcast. And you can get tickets and more info at my website, which is riabutcher.com. And you can get all of that on the internet, which you probably have access to at your house. And if you don't, you can get that at the library. You can even buy tickets there. Also, if you don't have access to that, you could probably go to the venue in your hometown and find it if you live in any of those places. And those are the hometowns. Uh, if I can give you any advice on the way out, just be kind to the people that you interact with on in your day-to-day. That means everybody, even the jerks, doesn't mean you have to be super nice. You just don't have to be mean. So, as always, this has been Rhea Butcher, this has been Three Swings, and if you liked it, you liked it. Forever! <laughs> Dog!